This season of The 80 is kindly brought to you in association with artisan food producers Moorish. Moorish uses only the best ingredients to create their deliciously different dips. Using traditional methods and adding a unique smoked twist, their products are indeed incredibly Moorish. From the original smoky hummus to zingy lemon and dill smoked hummus, Moorish's creations will delight your taste buds. Our personal favourite in the About Time office is the new Moorish pea hummus, which is exclusive to Sainsbury's. With a delicious pea flavour and 15 grams of protein per pot, it's our ideal indulgent afternoon snack. If you're in the mood for something with a kick, their smoked hummus with chilli harissa is fiery and delicious. Or try their garlic and Sicilian lemon aioli, which is gloriously creamy with a zing of fresh lemon. Available in all good supermarkets, including Sainsbury's, Waitrose, Ocado and Booth's, why not stock up on some Moorish today? Thank you to our sponsors, Moorish. Looking at the best things to do in London and beyond? From food to fitness, bars to going out, this is the AT, the About Time Podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the AT. Well, this week we are doing a listener special, aren't we, Al? Yes, we are, and I'm very excited. (laughs) It feels very interactive. (laughs) So our listener special, we've always just get tons of different questions um, emailed to us about London about going out all kinds of things dog friendly restaurants <laughs> we get very niche ones though like, I want to take so and so to a restaurant it has to be dog friendly <laughs> vegetarian friendly and nice for my granny who's yeah. gluten free so we thought we'd dedicate an episode to answering our listener questions so just to k- kick things off the first question that we are answering is Sent in by listeners from Amy from London, and she's emailed us saying, I'm feeling a bit bored of London. What can I do that's new to spice things up? Well, firstly, why are you bored of London? That's Amy. Well, Just come on, Amy. No. Um, but Al, what would you suggest Amy does uh, to get a little bit more excited about London? Well, good timing, Amy, because Day of the Dead's coming up. Um, festivities big in Mexico where they celebrate their ancestors <laughs> um, you can't just see my hand gestures that I'm throwing around the room so there's lots of parties lots of menus lots of tequila fueled bashes going on um, and actually well tequila brand um, Cascabel have teamed up with um, Corazon they're in Soho and they're hosting a brunch on Sunday the 4th of November and it's a brunch with a side of bingo Stop it. And there's going to be tacos, and there's going to be cocktails, and there's prizes to be won. So feast your eyes on that, Amy. (laughs) Also, um, an agave tequila brand... Poise Carabo. Thank you very much, Angelica. Um, ...is going to host um, a Day of the Dead party on Friday the 2nd of November. It's taking place at Shoreditch's trendy 93 feet east... Very nice venue. And basically, it's a full, going to be a full Mexican immersive experiences. There's going to be sugar schools... Schools? Skulls. Sugar skulls. Music, uh, a tequila bar, a lot of themed cocktails. This sounds like a really good excuse to dress up. This time of year is great for dress up. Day of the Dead, October... Halloween. <laughs> I mean, sorry, I mean Halloween. October 1st. Do you know what it is? I think that they leave the heating on too high in this co-working space because my brain is so And there mushy. is no natural light. <laughs> um, and then another dinner event uh, on Friday the 2nd of November. Katina Laredo. Thank you. Um, so it's candlelit, um, free-flowing booze. 
So fill your boots with margs, wine and beer. Now, this is quite controversial, Angelica. Yeah. But they're serving grasshopper-topped guacamole. No, I'm out. How'd you feel? Terrible. Absolutely awful. Nobody needs to eat a grasshopper. Why? I don't know. It's a good source of protein, maybe. And <laughs> um, you've got aubergine to starters, um, served with green habanero mayonnaise. Sorry, and they've also got dark tacos and Nutella mole. That's this, weird. This is... What's going on? They've been drinking too much of the Kool-Aid over this place. <laughs> um, yeah, so and that's if you want to eat weird stuff by candlelight. <laughs> Basically, I feel like unlimited margaritas and grasshopper is the worst combination. Yeah. And if you want to feel really sick on Saturday the 3rd, then head on down. Sorry to the PRs that sent that up to yeah. us. I apologise yeah. for getting in a certain trouble. <laughs> okay, so there you go, Amy. There's some fun Day of the Dead things that you can do. Um, do you want to read out our next listener question? Yes. Oh, Beverly. Hello, Essex. I want to give back in London, but I don't know where to start. Are there any charity events I can get involved in? Well, Beverly, thank you for your question. I have done some research for you and I found something perfect. So My Grateful is a supper club style event series in London, but it's led by refugees who've undergone professional chef training. So it's really cool. The concept is basically they've got chefs from all over the world, from Egypt, Afghanistan, um, Lebanon, Bengal, just all over and they are basically doing these small intimate events where they teach international cuisines to guests in a fun relaxed way and then afterwards after the cookery class they sit down to eat their food so it's like you sit down for a meal after you learn so for example there's things coming up um, there's one in Borough Market which is an Egyptian class um, and then and then lunch afterwards or dinner and they've also got a Bengali one and an Afghan class and this £35 goes to charity that's great. I think it's really cool. So there is my suggestion. We've also, later on the show, we are joined by the Hands Up Foundation who have Syrian Supper Clubs. So you can also find out about that and how you can host a Syrian Supper Club. Can you cook Syrian food? Um, I don't know. I've never tried cooking Syrian food, but my boyfriend's Persian, so I feel like, you know... This sort of similar-ish, sort of lots of rice, some yes. pomegranate. I don't oh, know. I love rice. But I've, I've, I've tasted Syrian food and it's absolutely delicious. It's a labour of love, Syrian food, for my yes, experience. Yes, it's, it's not a quick job. <laughs> no, no cookies. Um, so a final question that we were sent in is from Dave from Guildford. Good to know that we have a male listener. Very rare that we get any males. What's before. good in Guildford, Dave? You tell me. <laughs> What's happening in Guildford? I actually went to school in Guildford. Did you? Lots of chain restaurants, lots of prezzos and cafe rouge. There's Zizis. There are many as My mum's favourite. And, and there's a uh, there's lots of Pizza Express. Um, good old Guildford. So um, he said, I want to do something fun with a booze-loving friend in London. Any suggestions? What would you suggest to Dave in Guildford? Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun new drink trends flying about the place. So if you've not heard of this um, subscription service, they're called Whiskey Me, mm-hmm. and what they do is they send pouches of Scotch whiskey, sorry, straight to the letterbox. But they're taking the concept kind of one step further, um, and they're actually launching a vending machine, a whiskey vending machine. So it's um, outside um, the front of the uh, Napoleon Hotel, which houses three um, of London's finest bars, including Black Rock. Really, actually, if you haven't been, I would really recommend um, going there. But anyway, so you you purchase tokens from the upstairs bar, Devil's Darling, and then you can go into the slot machine and, and get your whiskey out. That's so mad. It's, it's, I think that's fun. I mean, I remember going to vendor machines when I used to have swimming lessons. I was just to get a pack of ribbon saucy knickknacks. How <laughs> times have changed. I think um, that is quite fun. Yeah. But how do you drink the pouches? Is it just like there's a straw in them, like a Capri Sun? I think it is, honestly. Like, you know, those little... 
like those pouches. This one for a date. Yeah. Maybe Dave doesn't want to. It depends what kind of friend this is, Dave. Yeah. I don't don't take him on a date there. Maybe. But it's interactive. It's fun. It's like ooh. But knowing London, it's probably super expensive. Yeah, that's probably true. That's what probably what true. else could Dave do? Um, well, obviously, the millennial love for avocado shows no sign of slowing down anytime soon. And Long Arm Pub on Worship Street has upped the avo ante. Thank okay. you. Um, and they've, they've just started putting it in drinks, basically, beer. Um, they've oh. created um, the avocado stout, which is 100% vegan. Of course it is. Uh, has been brewed using dark malts combined with a subtle creamy avocado flavour and aroma. So you can get basically a shot of vitamin C in your late night beer. No, hold on. I don't want a vitamin C in a shot in my late night beer. There is a time and a place for nutrition and it is not in the pub. Yeah. This is, I, I just take issue with this need to put like nutritional value in things that it doesn't, like protein bounty bars. And uh, do you know what I mean? It's like putting, just stop yeah. trying to put nutrition in the area that it doesn't need to I be. Don't need, I don't need any more protein in my Snickers. It's got a shit ton of nuts in anyway. I really like don't need it. Like protein water, no. So the, yeah. I, I get what they've done here, but I don't think I need the vitamin C in yeah. the avocado. But sure, why not? I mean, I think most importantly, does it taste nice? I think we'll have to go and try it and we'll report back. Well, Dave, we'll report back for you. Do you like stout? No, it's really heavy. It's like a meal and a drink. <laughs> yeah, and especially avocado stout. Yeah. It's the new avocado on toast, sort of, in a way. Probably not. Drinkable. Um, anything else? Uh, yes, another London first. Um, is London's first alcoholic pumpkin latte. Oh. So obviously October, people go mad for the spice. Not the drug, the actual <laughs> spice drinks. Um, so Bart, Speakeasy and Chelsea have taken the well-loved pumpkin spiced latte and just spiked it with alcohol. They've just thrown in some Tia Maria. And now pumpkin, this I'm kind of into, I think would yeah, be nice. Pumpkin pie spiced infused grey goose vodka. And if you don't have time, just go to Starbucks, take a little mini, yeah. pour, pour it in your latte, why not? So if any of those tickle your fancy, Dave? Yeah. Bart's has actually got a very good vibe, so I recommend Bart's. Yeah, Bart's is cool bar. Yeah, if you don't mind being with half of the cast of Men in Chelsea, then Bart's is for you. <laughs> All right, well, there you go, listeners. I hope that has answered some of your questions. And we are now going to be joined by some fantastic guests. This is the AT, the About Time podcast. So this week's episode is all about answering our listener questions and we had a question in which read, I want to start my own drinks company but I don't know where to start. I've got the concept but I don't know the first thing about business. Where should I begin? Lily from Yorkshire. Well, as we are answering... You've got some listeners in Yorkshire which I think is very nice. I think it's quite impressive. Um, So as we are answering the questions this week, we are joined by expert Lula White, founder of Setford Drinks. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, well, thank you very much for having me on the show. Um, and the first thing I would say is 100% I will let these guys get my email to you, so please drop me an email and we can actually chat in more detail person to person. Um, but, yeah, I can give you kind of my overview of how I how I, yeah, how I would start these things. Um, I think, one, congratulations on having an idea if you're in business. It is really exciting, and I think it's definitely worth something that's pursuing. Um, the first thing I would do is say... Well, what I started to do was create kind of prototypes in my kitchen, which I then tested on all my friends. I kind of told the story of why I'd come up with what I had and why I was so passionate about creating Seckford to lots of people and heard their feedback, which is just a kind of sense check about have I totally lost the plot or is there some shared kind of passion and shared opinion around this? Um, and then in terms of the business side of it, what I found is that there tend to be areas that all of us have expertise in and other areas that we have questions in. So 
certainly Googling stuff is a good place to start. Um, I think asking questions on blogs or on sites that are focused around helping people find, kind of start their own businesses, that's a really great resource. Um, I think actually just emailing people. So as I said, email me. But if you find other startups that are similar to what you want to do, mm-hmm. I found that a lot of people tend to be really helpful and really keen to share their own personal experience with other people who are starting businesses because they've been there. They've suffered the highs and lows. So they're, they're happy to help out. Yeah. Um, for anyone that doesn't know about Suckford Drinks, can you just give us a brief introduction? Where did the idea come from? I, I certainly can. This is one that I've, I've done a fair few times now, probably about a thousand. So it all started because I was a big whiskey drinker. So I love drinking whiskey. I would drink a lot of it neat. Um, and I just got to a point where I got frustrated because if I was at the pub with friends or if I was at home, I wanted to be able to drink it, but I didn't always want it neat. I wanted a way to drink it long that was refreshing and was kind of appropriate for those moments when other people were having gin and tonics or when they were having glasses of wine or beer. But I found that for me, Coke and ginger, while being really tasty, tended to overpower the flavour of the spirit. Mm. So I wasn't really clear what whiskey I was actually drinking. Um, It could have been anything. So yeah, it all just started in my kitchen on Seckford Street, which is where the name came from, uh, as like a passion project with my soda stream, making my own kind of distillates. Um, And then, yeah, it kind of spread into rum. So it started all with the whiskey and the rum, just experimenting a lot around what would a mixer designed around each of these spirits taste like if you started from scratch and how strongly flavoured would it be so the whiskey one is based around Sicilian orange rosemary and gentian botanicals the rum one is lime mint rose and cacao Um, they're all 100% natural and they're in sparkling spring water and they're all low in sugar as well which is a really nice side effect so it's under 40 calories per bottle but there's no artificial sweetener I didn't want to use anything artificial in this And then from kind of the early days of whiskey and rum, um, we had a lot of people asking about gin and vodka and tonic and could we create a tonic. And I think I felt like when it comes to tonic, there are really great tonics available on the market. People have done a brilliant job there. So rather than doing a tonic, I would look at something different. Um, So what I looked at had no quinine in it, so it's not remotely bitter. It's the other end of the spectrum. It's based around raspberry rose and then English garden botanicals. So it's much fruitier, much more floral. And then we fell in love with tequila and mezcal as a result of all of this. So I really wanted, uh, yeah, just to find a way to drink that differently. And looking at brilliant kind of citrus serves around that, I thought, let's look at the opposite end of the spectrum. So I experimented with kind of roasting prickly pear at home, um, figs, looking at that kind of sweeter, fruitier notes. And that one has roasted prickly pear, fig, and then chocolate and cardamom in it. So it's a really nice kind of alternative. But yeah, that is kind of a short story of, a, of, of where I am today with the four mixers. Amazing. And how did you take it from that thing around your kitchen table to creating a product and it being as beautiful as it is now and going to uh, suppliers? Like, how did that process evolve? So a lot of kind of trial and tribulations. Uh, there was, you have your soda stream thing. Sadly, what you make at home with soda stream doesn't stay carbonated long enough to start supplying, uh, supplying many people. And mm. it also... It's quite a labour-intensive process in your kitchen. Um, So you then have the, how do you find a company to work with in terms of the bottling and having the carbonation at a high enough level? You then also need to start finding ways into market. So there was a lot of Googling done. Um, There are now some brilliant companies that offer advice on this stuff. Um, So I found one of those by accident and had a coffee with the guy who runs that, and he was very helpful in terms of his advice. 
and we found an independent bottler up in the northeast who are very kind and, and supportive and wanted to get involved and they have an on-site spring so the water comes straight out of the hill into where the bottling's done but yeah a lot of it is early on just kind of googling having a lot of conversations with people trying to talk to other people who have been in the same position you've been in and hearing anyone they would recommend advice they can give um, and then yeah so we got we got there we had the initial product runs then it was a lot of walking around London talking to independent shops independent bars and how did you convince people to take the product um, a lot of storytelling and a lot of people being curious about something that's so different from anything out there and in all honesty I've seen some of the ways that bartenders use it is really inspirational so there was kind of the original usage which is what we created them for as kind of at home mixers for specific spirits but I've seen bartenders using them to lengthen cocktails I've seen them using them with liqueurs or like the whiskey one with vermouth so there's been some brilliant alternative mm. ways so of in a way them. like people use the product differently to what you expected when you first created it yeah, so, and then that was a really lovely surprise. So, I mean, people still very much do use them as they were originally created, but I think they've also opened up loads of other avenues for them that was beyond where we had originally seen it. Mm. So that's just, yeah, very, very exciting. Um, yeah, and seeing all these amazing recipes people have done. Mm. Amazing. In terms of, like, a business side of things, how... How savvy were you with the financials? Did you raise investment? Did you know, like, did you have margins and did you understand, like, the financial side of it? Or was it just product and you kind of made it up a bit as you went along? I would say probably somewhere in between. So I did, I mean, I started to kind of save my own money at first and then spoke to kind of friends of friends and networks about people who were really keen to support startup businesses and things. I spoke to a lot of friends around finance and stuff. I drew up kind of my own business plans in the first instance and then, again, asking help from people who have better expertise and learnings around that, which is really, really helpful. Um, And there's, again, a lot more companies that have opened recently and a lot of people who are willing to offer help and advice there. Um, I'm lucky my partner is very good in terms of finance stuff, so he looked at a lot of that side of it, which was really helpful and offered a lot of advice there. It definitely helps if you have someone that's interested in the number side of thing. It's definitely yes. not where my interests lie. And my boyfriend will get excited about helping me like look at my outgoings. I'm like, that is that is not something that gets me excited. Know, but it's I good to have to someone in your life who's like that. Yeah, it is, and I think most people find there is someone in their life. Like if it's either a partner or a good friend or a yeah, I mean, I certainly try and offer help to friends probably whether they like it or not if they have any questions around drinks or that sort of thing. So I think usually people are keen to, to help out. Yeah. And on the outgoing side, what did you spend money on with the company that was like really great? Like, was it design, PR? What do you think was a really good investment? Well, I mean, the first kind of must do investment is actually the production process. So getting them kind of created and into the bottles and then all the storage costs around where, because they don't take up. they're not a product that doesn't take up much space so you do need to get kind of a safe store or a warehouse or somewhere to store cases um, and they don't weigh nothing either they weigh quite a lot Um, so there's that side of it which is kind of crucial to the whole thing and then we were very lucky in terms of having a PR company recommended to us early on who were brilliant and were also an independent company so they were really big believers in supporting other independent businesses and are very kind of on it and very supportive and very kind so I think that's been really, really helpful. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of getting a good bag and a good wheelie bag so you have something that you can drag around the streets mm. when you're doing kind of cold calling and visiting people. That is a good a good piece of kit. It's quite a good workout in itself, just carrying so many bottles oh, yes. around. It's very apprentice-like, <laughs> isn't it? When they try and fuck yeah. you overpriced donuts in the street, but I'm oh. sure, like... 
I love an overpriced that was, that donut. Was, that was a great episode. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of the design, I was lucky in terms of design. I have some very good friends who are brilliant at design, and they that bit they helped out on, um, and they're kind of part of the company as well. They've been a brilliant support from the very beginning. Was there anything that you spent money on that you regret with hindsight? Mm, there's nothing I specifically regret. I think it was one of these things that I was actually chatting to someone, chatting to someone about earlier, where I was saying, after the first year, there's so much that you just wish you knew. And I'm like, if I could go back to the beginning now with all the stuff I know, this would be such a smooth path. Um, what were some of the things that no you... There is no way around this. What, like, what are some of the things that you'd do differently? I think just realising... The, the market that you're I guess this is a difference so if you if what you start a business in is in a market that you've worked in for a long time you probably have an innate understanding of that market and how to work in it I hadn't worked in the drinks industry so this was kind of a hobby that took over my life and became something I was more and more passionate about so learning a kind of how the supply chains within this industry work learning when are the best times to go and be turning up at bars with your wheelie bag and so you're not annoying other people who are also working really hard there are all these kind of learning curves Mm. and and I've been lucky with how many people have been very supportive on that note and how kind people have been with their advice and especially like bartenders who've been lovely um, and kind of showing me how how it can and should be done but yeah these are all things that you learn on the job and that yeah I wish I could kind of click my fingers and reverse time go back and do it but again this is something that I'm very happy to share if anyone ever called me and was like can you offer me some advice I can tell them what I learned the first year yeah and in terms of hiring and like finding the right people to work for you uh, do you have any advice to share on like hiring the right people or how you went about it so the person that works, kind of the first person that ever worked with me on it, was a pure stroke of luck. He emailed me out of the blue, having just left university, and asked if he could come do work experience, and just turned out to be a perfect natural fit for the company. Um, I mean, does I think he still work? He does indeed, yeah. Oh, I like those um, stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's our story, isn't it? <laughs> Faster. So that, yeah, I think that's a funny. That's just a four years in. She's still an intern. We're hoping yeah. that she won't oh, one day graduate to getting a job. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly joking. But yeah, so I think yeah, taking interns is brilliant because like now he's obviously very much part of the company. But we did yeah early on. It's kind of both of you can see if he had decided actually what on earth am I doing? This is not for me. I would totally have understood that. And if it had been like a maybe this isn't the right thing for him to be doing, that would have been one thing. But yeah, that works really well. I think. Asking the opinion of other people who work in the industry is another really good way of doing it. Um, this industry is brilliant in that people are very honest and people are very fair in their recommendations. So I found where people have told me this person's brilliant at this, it's generally been a very true recommendation um, and not one, yeah, not one that you thought, what on earth were they thinking? Mm-hmm. So I think that's been a really good one. Um, yeah. Fab. And finally, in terms of communicating a brand story, um, do you have any advice to share on how you built up the story of the brand and like communicated that to consumers? I mean, I think hopefully the story comes from what, what the story actually is. I think people sometimes underestimate how much people are genuinely interested in what really happens and how you really came about doing something. Mm-hmm. So I think rather than assuming that no one's going to be interested, people who are starting brands should be like actually... A lot of people have ideas about businesses or have dreams of their own, so it inspires people to hear how someone else started and then decided to take the plunge and the kind of highs and lows they've had. So I think it's worth telling the true story like that. And then in terms of how you tell it and making sure you're telling it in a compelling way, it helps to tell it to friends and family members of different ages and different backgrounds so you can make sure, like... I'm not just telling the story that only appeals to very few people. Right? Yeah. What are the bits about it that are kind of universally interesting? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and then in terms of how you get it out there, social media obviously makes a massive difference um, in terms of telling your story. I think people like that, particularly if it feels like something that's being told firsthand versus just a kind of overly polished thing. Um, and then doing lots of kind of consumer events, like being able to talk to people face-to-face um, and actually let them try the product and getting their advice on it. And some things that consumers have told me I've really taken on board and have actually, funnily enough, made huge differences, even though for them it's just a one-off comment. I've been really inspired by it, and it's changed how I do things. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for chatting to us and sharing your advice. If people would like to find out more about the drinks or would like to buy one, where should they go? Yeah, so if they want to find out more, then if you Google Seckford Drinks, so it's S-E-K-F-O-R-D-E, drinks, the website will pop up. Um, So that has links to where you can buy it and stuff. Uh, They're all at the bottom of the page. And then there's also an email address there, which is our general inquiries email address. But if anyone wants to actually have a chat with me or has any questions that they have been searching for answers for, then send some emails to the inquiries address and I will 100% get back to you. Thank you so much. Well, no, thank you very much. And here's this week's News in Brief. Following last year's sellout event, the Great British Fry-Up event is back for National Fry-Up Day on Sunday the 4th of November. Organised by social media star, the Fry-Up Police, the kitchen this year will be headed up by MasterChef 2017 finalist Steve Kelty, using some of the UK's best independent suppliers and hosted at Meat Liquor King's Cross. It promises to be the best full English ever created. Tickets are 20 quid and you can have endless cups of tea and a fry-up. Smithfield Market's Oriel and Woodford Reserve will be celebrating Old Fashioned Week by hosting a special night of blues music with one of the finest singers and piano players around, Eric Ranzoni. On Monday the 5th of November, treat yourself to Eric's distinctive style and knack for crowd entertainment at the enchanting underground oasis. And finally... Cub will be welcoming friends from the Botanist Gin and Brookladdock Whiskey as they host a very special takeover until the 3rd of November. The collaboration was born from Cub and the, st- st- the collaboration was born from Cub and the distillery's shared values and passion for sustainable luxury and traceability. The dinners will highlight the importance of flavours in food and drink. Um, there's going to be a five-course tasting menu paired with different drinks created by both brands. That was this week's News in Brief. We're joined now by Marina Carmuth, Project and Admin Coordinator for Hands Up Foundation. Thank you for joining us, Marina. Thank you for having me. So, um, one of our listeners, one of the reasons that we have you on this week's show is one of our listeners has um, emailed in and has asked the following. I want to start my own charity one day and start giving back more, but I need some inspiration to get going. What can I do? Harriet from London. So, we thought you would be a fantastic person to have on the show to talk to us a little bit about the Hands Up Foundation, the work that you do, and generally how people can get involved with charitable work and give back more I'll do my best (laughs) so can you tell us um, first off a little bit about the Hands Up Foundation and the work that they do Um, so the Hands Up Foundation is um, a charity that provides emergency medical aid and education in Syria Uh, it's been going since about 2014 officially as a charity but before then it was kind of started by four friends who British friends who'd lived out in Syria but um, were sent home obviously when everything started kicking off Um, and they started a supper club to try and start raising money so that their friends back in Syria wouldn't feel forgotten and that kind of just grew and grew until it became a formalized charity and where we are like eight years down the line no I've done that wrong Seven years? years down the line. Seven years? Seven years down the line from the original 
from the original consumption. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's now we support um, three different projects out in Syria at the moment. Um, one is like a lot of like primary health centers, which provide kind of vaccinations and emergency health care. One is a prosthetic limb clinic, because there's something estimated like 50,000 amputees in Syria at the moment. Wow. And one is um, a medical training program to kind of make sustainable you know, medical care an actual viable thing in Syria. What are some of the biggest challenges facing charities and like the things that you find hard on a daily basis with with running a foundation? I mean, I guess the difficulties facing charities at the moment are like it's public opinion, isn't it? You know, after you get all the Oxfam stuff and the stories about the Greenpeace CEO jetting around the world and having a fab time, you know, Mm -hmm. you kind of it's it's a game of showing what you're doing Mm. it's you know making everything as transparent as possible so people are confident that the money they give you is actually going where they think it's going yeah um but for us day to day i think it's also just um compassion fatigue you know because everything is everything is awful yeah so there are so many causes out there that it's worth giving to so it's a kind of matter of keeping people engaged with your cause and not letting kind of for us syria fade from the forefront of what people Mm. are thinking about Definitely, and it can go with popular trends, can't it? Some things can be sort of in fashion to talk about, and then people lose interest, or there's something else that that comes to the forefront. Absolutely, like we see spikes in donations. Say, you know, with Eastern Ghouta, when that happened, Mm. that was a kind of big, like you know, news headline. Suddenly, everyone's interested, and then you know, a couple of weeks pass, and it goes back down. So it is very much a matter of kind of keeping people's attention and making it sustainable. Are you still hosting supper clubs? We are, because that was one of the ways that the founders of the charity decided was the best idea to keep people engaged, was instead of just asking for donations, you give people something. So the supper clubs, you get the kind of, we have flagship ones where the venues donate their space and the chefs donate their time, and then you get people to pay for a three-course Syrian feast, and all the proceeds go to the um, projects we support. Um, and that way people don't feel like they've donated they feel like they've gone to a fun event yeah yeah. Um, so and that keeps them engaged and coming back so we do that with the um, with food and with singing and then can people host their own supper clubs exactly that's the idea so you're meant to be inspired by the flagship one go away and gather your friends round and do your best to not poison them with Syrian food which is pretty arduous in the making but absolutely <laughs> delicious so um amazing yeah. and what are some of the other ways that you fundraise as a charity um we also do singing for syrians which is kind of a musical side of things we try and get like churches schools communities everyone to kind of put on concerts or at christmas carols mm-hmm. big time of year for us <laughs> very exciting um and give us proceeds of that because again you know concerts and musical things don't tend to cost a lot of money so mm. it means that the money can come straight through. Um, and we also make and sell our own marmalade. Oh, that's lovely. It's marmalade. <laughs> yeah. See what you have done I like there. that. Do, yeah. do you make the marmalade? Uh, we did formally make the marmalade, took it to a competition in Cumbria <laughs> called the, the, the Dale Main Mansion Marmalade Festival. It's a Is really it like a big big calendar girl really when they buy the glasses for the state? <laughs> quite that raunchy but I don't know there might be a CD underbelly I don't know about um, but no then we like, took it up there and uh, the judges did not give it full marks sadly but one of the judges then said that she would make it for us so um, she's who makes it ever since she's made oh, it all. She's that's lovely, lovely. Oh, where can someone purchase the marmalade from on uh, the Dale Main Mansion website you can order it and I'll send it down or if you happen to work in the same office as us there's always a proliferation of it <laughs>
Does it come in a variety of flavours? Yeah, we've got serval, orange and cardamom and orange blossom and basically anything with a Syrian twist. Mm. So it's, yeah, we'd like to keep things, you know, a bit fairly varied and random, but that's how you keep people interested, isn't it? Um, what does it take, do you think, to run a successful charity? Um, I think you just, you need very, very good, like, solid team because our, like, managing director, she has eyes on absolutely everything and you know it's like it's as far as I can tell it's about staying on top of everything relentlessly Mm -hmm. and you know constantly being open to people helping you more than anything because so many people do want to get involved and it's kind of a matter of being efficient and being able to process that because it's just it's fantastic when you get you know like a check for 200 pounds from some completely random church in the middle of you know Dumfries Mm -hmm. and you're like god these people are incredible that they've just done this with their own volition so you've got to be like like ready to kind of support them however you can yeah um, are there any particular skills that you think you need for working in a charity um i think you i think it helps a lot to be um able to like communicate well to be able to to engage people and speak to people and not be scared of of kind of cold calling mm-hmm. and trying to engage people that way and also not being um yeah just not being shy i think um is the main thing but, um, do you think that people are intimidated to get involved with charity? Like, they find it something that's hard to integrate into their ordinary lives? I think it, I think they're probably, with charities, there are just so many different levels of involvement that, you know, for people who want to do it full-time, then I, I can't imagine it's, it's you know, you, you... I can't imagine it's something that you would feel intimidated by because it's, mm. obviously, you tend to... I mean, in my experience, you find that everyone who works for charities tends to be utterly delightful. <laughs> um... But I think that if, you know, if you're volunteering and stuff, I think the commitment can seem like quite a lot if it's a very, very regular thing. Mm -hmm. So we try and get people involved in, you know, as often or as little capacity as they'd like. Um, But... Well, there are so many different ways to give to charity. There's so many smaller yeah. ways that you you can do things and integrate them a lot easier. Whether it's like donating to charity shops or just having like a yeah. regular standing order with a charity. There can be small things that exactly. And that's why we, you know, those, these campaigns that we've run, the supper club and the singing for Syrians, we think have you know been as successful as they have because as much as people love the idea of you know doing stuff for charity, they also fundamentally don't. I think it's, it's nice to be able to do it within your comfort zone. Mm. So, you know, if you're... That's why I don't think people like to be approached on the street by yeah, the I the do agree. Workers. I think it's that it does come across as quite aggressive, doesn't it? It's because you're going about your day and then someone can asks you something. Can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah. <laughs> and then you see people and they're just like... And, you no. like, and they're like, I just want to have a chat. You're like, no, you don't. <laughs> definitely don't want to just have a chat. Exactly. It's just, it's a kind of, you feel like assault with like, you know, them coming at you. So, But it must be a hard balance with, with donators to like, you want to be friendly and open, but you also do need money and you need actual donations. Mm. So like how, like knowing how pushy to be, I guess that must be quite a hard balance to strike. But I think it's more about like give and take because when you're in, you know, if you were just approached by somebody on the street or as you're going about your day, then you feel like something's being like taken from you. Whereas if, you know, we're, we love at Christmas doing the caroling thing. Mm. People giving money to like a you know small child with a bucket while people carol, they don't feel attacked by that. They yeah. just feel you know, yeah. quite cheered by it, a bit festive. Yeah. Um, I, I get involved, yeah. you know, <laughs> try, try and do all the different parts. 
kicked me out of the bases last time. <laughs> yeah, just didn't have the range. Hey, Christmas must be such an exciting time for, for working in a charity because there's people who are just in more of a charitable mood, I think. Yeah, exactly. Probably me because I'm Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you know, it just makes you feel like you're much better at your job. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, my it. God, I'm so smashing it. Look at these donations roll again. <laughs> January comes and around. January comes around. around. It's not, <laughs> not quite the same. Amazing. Well, if you would like to find out more about the foundation or to donate or organise a supper club, where should they go? Um, they should go to our website which is handsupfoundation.org and if they're interested we're having our big flagship carol service on the 11th of December in Westminster amazing and they can find out more on the website Mm -hmm. thank Thank you so so much much. for joining us no problem this is the AT the About Time podcast we're coming up to the end of the show and actually it's my favourite part really I quite like it because we just like talking about food um, so, if you're a new listener, this is where we review restaurants that we've been to. We do uh, over the last week, and we usually highlight our very different tastes in food. Yes. So I've usually gone somewhere really fancy, and you've had, you've discovered a new greasy spoon that you yes, love. Yes, I love a greasy spoon. Where have you been this week, Giles? So I haven't been eating that much because, sorry, um, I went to Mauritius. Um, but before I went to Mauritius, I had a very delicious brunch at Baker and Spice. If you've never been, Baker and Spice is quite a relatively small chain of cafes in London. There's a couple all over the place. The one I went to um, was in Maida Vale. Um, really nice location because they have tables outside. And it was that weekend in London where it was unnaturally sunny for the time of year. And we managed to snag a table outside. But they also have ones in Chelsea and they've got one in Oxford as well. And they also have a deli counter in Suffrages. So I went to the one in Maida Vale. I love Maida Vale. Just such a nice area. It's so what refined. What is this to Vale? I know. So it's just, it's got such a nice vibe about it. Um, the food at Baker and Spice is so good. So I had cherry tomato avocado on toast, which was very delicious. And like tasted quite different to most avocado on toast that I've had. And I went to ask them about it. And they put raw garlic in it. Very controversial. Did you like that? Well, the thing is, they took the chunks of garlic out. So I didn't mind it. As in, I think they made a dressing with garlic. They poured the dressing over it. But I did actually like it more than I thought I would because I'm not usually a garlic person. But I did actually enjoy it. And it was such a generous portion. You know, when you go out for brunch and it's like a tenner for avocado on toast, you get like one measly piece. Well, it was not like this here. It was really generous, like two big slices, loads of avocado. It was beautiful. We also shared a salad plate. So they have a concept which for a certain amount, I can't remember what it was. I think it was like 8.50. You can choose three salads to have on a plate. Loads of variety, very like Ottolenghi style, interesting, unusual grains and cheese, all kind of stuff. We shared the wild rice salad with butter beans, baby spinach leaves and pomegranate, which was mm. delicious. And a roasted pumpkin salad with beetroot, spring onion, parsley and feta. Um, really likes them. I think it's a good hearty option. You know, when you go for brunch and it's like 11.30, 12 and you're like hungry enough that just like a yogurt bowl is not going to do it. I agree. And you also know you're not going to eat for the rest, like till the evening. This is actually for me was like the perfect balance so we had like avocado on toast a salad plate and then we shared two lattes and a panorama so i think i actually cracked brunch that day i think i won at brunch mm. so i would recommend if you want to go to baker and spice what i like about it is it's it's not so expensive that you can't like kind of treat yourself so you can afford to get like a few things a few things you can get a pastry it's not like ottolenghi prices where it's just like oh i can't do that um and i've been i went there twice in a weekend because it was so nice and they also have the most amazing blueberry cheesecake so fluffy so light oh, i do love a blueberry cheesecake there's a quite controversial pastries that was not so sold on like quite a lot of sort of chocolate hazelnut panna chocolat things that are a bit complicated and looked a bit sickly so I'd say like stick with the classics um yeah but I'd really recommend Baker and Spice I'm gonna go back there it was delicious
Where have you been, Alicia? So I went to Casa Pastor in the new Coal Drops development, um, Coal Drops Yard development in Kings Cross. It's insane. It's so big. Um, so Casa Pastor is a sister restaurant to El Pastor in Borough Market. And we went the night before it opened to the public. So there was still a lot of kind of construction work going on. But it felt like I was in a film set. It's mm. The architecture and the structure is huge. And there's loads of restaurants, there's loads of shops. So, yeah, I went to Casa Pasta. Obviously, you know, we've been to LA together. You know how much I love a taco. You do love a taco. Um, I don't know anyone that loves a taco as much as no, I honestly love tacos. And Casa Pasta delivered. It was... You know what? It's one of those restaurants that... It's for any occasion great date spot good vibe good for like groups of friends good to kind of like take your mum like, an after work dinner it's just like it's really fun yeah and I like the whole sharing I, I really enjoy that style of eating um margaritas banging great really strong strong salty just the way you want them I, I mean you can't fault them guacamole was good mm. I added a bit of spice in the guacamole so they do like El Pastor they do the um sort of salsas that you can you can the, add stuff in yeah so get those um the cheese quesadilla was delicious it was divine and um, would recommend um the the pork tacos for me they're my favorite usually but they were a little dry oh no nobody wants a dry taco no one wants a dry taco however the chicken the chicken taco was i think for me the number one. It was God telling you not to have pork, you know? Yeah. It was a sign. It was a sign. For my people. Um, the corn, again, the grilled corn with cheese. Great. And weirdly, they don't sound that much, but the charred spring onions, the way in which they cook them just over a flame, honest, honestly, like a taste sensation. And oh, we had dessert. And they do these homemade bounty bars Ooh. covered in dark chocolate. And you don't was, normally like dark chocolate. No, I don't. And it was good really and they did a really good cheesecake but no biscuit base it was just a baked kind of cheesecake very controversial very you know it's it's a good it's a really good restaurant price wise thing with these sort of places it does add up yeah do you know what I mean five quid here six quid here Mm. but it doesn't feel like a lot at the time and then you've had a couple of margaritas and you just keep ordering small plates before you know so is it like 30, 35 a head yes let's say that Mm. yeah unless you go a bit mental yeah I I did have three margaritas and I was ready (laughs) I was like I "I need to lie down but honestly I think it's a a different vibe to the Borough Market restaurant. It's more fun, and I I really like that. And you can also... They have um, an outdoor area which is heated that you can sit outside as well. It's quite a good idea to go there and then you can... Like, on a date, and then you can bar hop around the area because there's so many nice places in King's Cross. King's Cross is really on the up. I know. King's Cross is amazing. It didn't used to be that way. No, I wish I had a flat in King's Cross. be laughing now, wouldn't you? All the way to the bank. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening, um, lovely listeners. If you have any more questions, feel free to drop us a line on Twitter, to DM us. We will, um, we will try and answer your questions. Um, in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe and rate and review so more people can find the show. And we'll be back next week. See you later. You've been listening to The A.T., the best things to do in London and beyond. Visit abouttimemagazine.co.uk or follow us at About Time Mag.
This has been a Candy Store production for About Time magazine, hosted by Angelica Malin and Alicia Grimshaw, and produced by Van Connor. Spirit Body by Ketzer appears under Creative Commons 3.0. Visit KetzerMusic.com for more, with recording facilities in partnership with Jova London. Head to JovaLondon.com for more information.